We're in chapter 16. You have heard, if you've been in church uh, much uh, through your life, you have heard off and on the, the phrase, the day of the Lord. And some people uh, interpret that from time to time to mean the day that Jesus comes back. But that is, that's usually not the appropriate, not the best interpretation of that phrase. Um, when you hear it in Joel, in uh, <clears throat> Zechariah, uh, even the psalmist describes it, the day of the Lord is not the day Jesus comes back. It is a day of judgment. It's a scary, bad day for everybody who's not on the Lord's side. Chapter 16 of Revelation describes the day of the Lord. And so we're going to look at uh, <clears throat> that day, and it is not a 24-hour period. It's, a, it's a, a time. Don't know how much time. Not very much. We are near the end of the Great Tribulation. And uh, the day of the Lord is a short period of time. It happens very quickly. As, we, uh, as the book of Revelation has unfolded uh, the, the visions about what the Tribulation will look like, it is done so with three major symbols. We started with seven seals that, that bound the, the scroll. They would break a seal each time until they finally un, uh, un, uh, you know, opened the scroll. Uh, <clears throat> the seventh seal led us to seven trumpets. And we saw that with each trumpet, the judgment from God on the unbelieving world um, uh, got more intense and got worse. The seventh trumpet actually is the seven bowls. And tonight we get to the seven bowls. How many weeks now, months, has it taken us to talk about the seven uh, seals and the seven trumpets? Well. In one night, we're going to cover all of the bowls because it happens that quickly. You remember as well that uh, when we talked about the seals, we did six of them, and then there was a break. It was a pretty big break um, where John saw other visions that explained uh, some history and explained some future. I talked about the spiritual realm and how battles are being fought and all of that stuff in the spiritual realm. The same thing happened when we got to the seven trumpets. We did six of them and then we stopped. And he had other visions about things that were going on in heaven. And then we finally get to the seventh trumpet. You'll notice tonight that he follows the same pattern. It just happens very quickly. But we talk about six bowls. There is a short break, and then we get the seventh bowl. All right. So let's look at it together. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels. Now, uh, <clears throat> because I don't expect you to be able to remember everything we talked about two weeks ago, let me remind you that... Um, in his vision, 
it, it, the, one of the last things that he told us about the temple was that everyone left the temple. There was no one in the temple but God. The reason that's important in chapter 15 is because now in chapter 16, we hear a loud voice from the temple. So if God is the only one in the temple, we know this is his voice. So this is the voice of God. And that's something I noticed as I, as I read through this chapter. Um, in this chapter, we do not have angels telling other angels what to do and when to do it like we have seen earlier. In this chapter, God is the one who is giving all of the instructions to the angels to carry out what needs to be done. And so we hear the, uh, he says, I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The word for bowls is not, is not a deep bowl. You know, when Lisa and I, uh, when Lisa and I got married uh, back in the 50s, we... <laughs> Uh, we, we, uh, we started talking about uh, what kind of china did we want and what kind of everyday stuff did we want. And, you know, you got you to gotta go to the store and pick all that out. Um, back when we got married, Cox's was still. Remember Cox's in Waco there in Westview Village? Um, I don't know if that's where we had a list, but we did look there, I remember. Anyway, um, when we were talking about all that stuff, I basically said, I don't care, except I want my cereal bowl to be a bowl. You know, I want it to be deep. I want to put a bunch of cereal in my bowl. So our fancy china is just kind of a little, but, but, but our everyday stuff, it, I got a bowl, you know. <laughs> this word would be more like our everyday china. It's, it's a shallow container. The reason that that's significant is because through chapter 16, everything happens quickly. Boom, 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 boom. So he uses a Greek word that distinguishes the kind of vessel, and he uses one that means it's shallow so that, that when it's time, you don't have to wait and pour and, and, and pour and shake. And when it's time, they just throw this and it's gone. It's shallow enough that they can throw and empty the bowl quickly. So I heard a, a loud voice saying, go and pour out on the earth the seven shallow bowls of the wrath of God. Verse 2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. Notice as we go through that each bowl affects a different part of creation. One will be the earth, one will be the water, one will be the sky, etc., etc., and he begins, the first bowl is poured out on the earth. Harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. For me, the most important thing there is not to, to dwell on the picture of everybody suffering with these terrible sores breaking out all over them. For me, the most important part of that verse is the reminder at the end that those who are being punished by the, with the wrath of God are those who took the sign of the beast. In other words, they rejected God even at the very end. They 
refused to believe, and these are the ones who are being punished, uh, those who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel. See, we're already to the second bowl. You remember trumpets took us weeks, and we're already at the second bowl. Second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Now, when I read that, I picture, maybe it's because it uses a definite article, the, but I picture a body of water. But if you think about it, seas make up, what do they say, 70% of, of the earth's surface, something like that? And all of that now is blood. All of that now is full of dead critters. Can you imagine the health problems and the stench? What kind of a place this must be in which to live? Every living thing died that was in the sea. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers. What's the difference between a sea and a river? Yeah. So now he, we have effectively wiped out all of the salt water resources. And now we have effectively wiped out all of the fresh water resources. And there is no other water that we are aware of, right? Water is either sea, it's either salt water or fresh. That's all we have. So you wipe out both of them. Now the world has no water. How, how do we survive without water? I mean, you can't, you don't for long, do you, Robert? You just really can't do much of anything without water. So again, in verse four, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water. They became blood. I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, now this is, this is, it's not significant, I don't believe, but this is not the one who is pouring out the bowl. The one who pours out the bowl is one who was waiting in heaven until God said, go. This angel apparently spends most of his time taking care of God's creation, the waters on the earth. And it is this one who speaks. And you would think that he would defend the waters that he has always been protecting. But instead, his words are very important because he says, even though I have spent all of this time taking care of this water, God, I know you are doing the right thing. He says, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. He is the holy one. The word holy means separate means different than any other. And he is the only one who is truly different from any other being. He is the Holy One and he is timeless. And so the angel praises him by saying the one who is and who was. He has always been and he is always. He praises God. You are just for doing this. You're the Holy One. You brought these judgments. Verse 6, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. 
And I don't know that I would have caught that irony had it not been pointed out to us that those who have rejected God all the way through the Old Testament times until now, they kill God's people. They've always done that. Especially here at the end, they were killing God's people, shedding blood. And so it is somehow kind of ironically fitting, isn't it, that now they die because of blood. Verse 7, I heard the altar saying, and I'm not sure on that. I think that, again, this is just a vision. And I think John is, is hearing a voice come from the altar in the temple. Could that be a, a cherub that is in charge of guarding, perhaps? I, I think he has just personified, or he just gave the actual altar the ability to speak in John's vision. Uh, it's really not that big a deal, but he hears the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The reason I think it is the actual, in his vision now, it is the altar because remember that's where the martyrs were when, they, when, when uh, we saw the blood that was shed by the martyrs who were killed. They were at that altar. And it is they who said at that time, God, how long are you going to let these people get by with this before you judge them? And now it is that very altar that says, yes, you have answered the call. They answered the prayers of the martyrs. You are judging those who shed their blood. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. So we've, we've got the earth and the water. And by the way, there's not a whole lot more on the face of the earth, is there? It's either earth or water. So now he moves to the sky and he attacks the sun. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. To this point, the sun has provided for us uh, light, heat, uh, energy. But as bad as things get at, in a Texas August, the sun doesn't scorch us. Things change here in the end. Um, talk about global warming. Uh, I, th I actually think that what, what we're worried about as people learn more and talk more about climate change and global warming and all of that, I think that what they are beginning to see is the precursors for what's going to happen on the day of the Lord when all of the atmosphere goes nuts and, um, and there are some crazy things that happen. Uh, when the sun now is, is somehow whatever protects us from the sun is taken away and it actually scorches people with fire. They are scorched by the fierce heat. They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Instead of saying, okay, God, we give up your right. They said, God, how dare you do this to us? You blankety blank. It just speaks of the, the, uh, what, what some students and theologians call the, the total depravity 
of man. Uh, man without Jesus, man without God is just totally messed up. And those who reject Jesus are just so totally messed up, they just stay in their rebellion and cannot, will not repent. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. I don't believe that because of the, the context, I don't believe that this is an actual chair. Um, but the, the beast, you'll remember, is um, the Antichrist who has set up a new um, worldwide uh, political power, really. It has morphed into, with, under the leadership of the false prophet, it has morphed into a worldwide religion. Um, and so I, I, think, I think when it says that um, his bowl is poured out on the throne of the beast, it means his capital, if you will, his, his kingdom, uh, the, the area from which he reigns. Part of the reason I think that's how he's using the word throne is the last half of that verse. It says, its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And then it says again, they did not repent of their deeds. It's interesting that something crazy happens with the sun so that it scorches people. But then at that, the, the next angel pours his bowl out and everything is dark. So I think there are some crazy things happening in the atmosphere, happening with the sun itself. The sixth angel, I'm in verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up. Notice now he makes kind of a common uh, commentary, really. Notice the last part of that verse. To prepare the way for the kings from the east. The sixth angel pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. They call it great for a reason. It starts way up yonder um, on snow-capped mountains and it runs some 18,000 miles. It's a, it's a massive thing. Um, and so I kind of picture here, I mean, think about what's happening with the sun. Um, somehow the sun gets so hot and maybe it moves closer to the earth, maybe the atmosphere is cleared out, I don't know. Something happens where the sun is now so powerful and hot that it actually scorches people. Imagine what it would do to any snow caps that remain at that time. So yeah, this is, this is some serious global changing that's happening here. So the snow caps go away, you probably have this big flood that comes through the Euphrates and it, it floods through and now its source has all dried up and gone away. The source goes away, this flood kind of washes it out and, and because of whatever this angel does supernaturally, the Euphrates is just all dried up. Something that, that John's people would never even, could not even wrap their mind around. This is the great river. That's what, how they all referred to it. How could it ever 
disappear. It has been around from the beginning to the end. If you go all the way back to the beginning, the Garden of Eden is described as being by the Euphrates. And so it's all the way from the beginning to the, it's this massive thing and now it's gone. Well, when God set aside a certain part of land for his people, well, they called it the promised land. When God set aside a certain part of land for his people, it had certain borders on it. And the Euphrates was the river, which was the border on the east side. Uh, Y'all don't see it, but in my brain, we still have this map that I used to have on the marker board right here. Okay. So as I look over here, I see this map on the marker board. And so it's on the east side. Here's this river. It, it, it kind of, it was a, a, among other things, it was a border of protection. The great river would be pretty hard to cross. Once it's dried up, it's easy to cross. And so the, the kings of the armies who have never liked God's people, they're anti-Semitic among other issues, they're going to now be able to, to get to uh, this area of Palestine there's no river there to protect them. What they don't realize is that when they come from the east and they come in for what is going to be a great battle, uh, they're actually walking into a trap. Hang on to that and we'll get to it in a minute. Verse 13, now this is odd. Remember, this, this is visionary thinking, apocalyptic literature. Verse 13, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Do you remember who is the dragon? That is Satan. Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast. Do you remember who is the beast? The Antichrist. All right. And then the third in that unholy trinity coming out of the mouth of the false prophet. So there are these three entities. They've all, they've all been working together. Just like there is a holy trinity, there is an unholy trinity. Satan. Antichrist, false prophet. But here is this image that he has. Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. I don't think the spirits are like frogs. I think they came out like frogs. I think the like frogs phrase modifies how they came out, not what they look like. And... So these evil spirits come out of their mouths. Now, we know that they are, bound, they are uh, evil, and, and so it's not a surprise that these evil demonic spirits come out of them. But the next question is why and what do these spirits do? And so verse 14, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. These spirits come out of the unholy trinity and they go throughout the world inviting the kings of the nations. Now, kings of the nations mean the people who are of the world and not of God. These are people who have rejected God. They are not God's people, but they are invited now. Hey, everybody, let's get together and let's have a big battle. And let's fight God once and for all. So there's this massive invitation. The Euphrates is gone, so it's easy to get to our area. Everybody, let's get together and let's, let's fight God. Uh, 
verse 15, notice it's uh, parenthetical. It's, there's a parentheses that covers the whole verse um, because this is almost a quote. It is, uh, it is a, a, a paraphrase of things that we've heard in other scriptures. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. That's a quote. Um, and so we understand that to be the quote from Jesus. This is, the, this is what Jesus would be saying. He says, I'm coming like a thief. A thief comes quickly, unexpectedly. Uh, and we've seen that in other scriptures that he will come like a thief in the night, which means um, he's not going to ask your permission. He's going to show up when he's going to show up. He's going to come quickly. And so uh, he's, he's going to come quickly. And he says, so blessed, by the way, there are seven beatitudes sprinkled throughout the book of Revelation. Seven is the number of completion. Seven seals, seven Trumpets, seven bowls, seven horns. We see seven throughout the book. If you look carefully, you'll find seven times that it says, blessed are they who do this or that. And this is, I think, number four out of the seven, something like that. Uh, and, and it says, uh, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. Uh, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. This is not about wearing clothes. This is about being ready. If you uh, if you just kind of if you just go to sleep and uh, you're not ready, uh, you'll be you'll be terribly surprised. And so he's saying to believers, don't give up. Hang in there. You'll be blessed if you pay attention and look for his coming. You be ready for it. You go through this terrible, awful time. You stay strong and keep watching because he's coming. He's coming soon, coming quickly. So he's telling them, don't make go to sleep. Be wearing the armor of God when they go to sleep. Exactly. That's exactly right, Robert. Yeah. You go to bed. Um, you know, I, don't tell me what you wear in bed because I don't want to picture some of that. <laughs> but I can tell you when I go to bed, I don't wear this. Right? And he's saying, don't, don't, don't take off your clothes and go to bed and go to sleep like nothing's happening. You stay ready. It's, it's obviously an illustration. Yeah, go to sleep. But it's you know, spiritually speaking, stay alert, stay ready, be ready to go. And, uh, and this, by the way, what we've just covered in that, those last two or three verses, that is the interlude between the sixth and the seventh bowl. Remember, there's an interlude between six and seven seal, six and seventh trumpet. And as quickly as this happened, we just covered the interlude. We, he stopped for a moment and he, he quoted Jesus. He gave us hope. That always happens in these interludes before the seventh thing. He gave us hope that uh, those who believe are going to be okay. And verse 16 they assembled them. These are the kings now. They've got the kings from all the nations. They assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Armageddon comes from a word. Uh, actually, it's two words, really. It's Har-Megadon. 
Har is the mountain of. Megadon was an area there that was, that was like a plains area. And so this is an actual geographic spot. Um, and it says that he gathered all of the kings from the nations in this place called Armageddon. Now that becomes very significant because they think they're going to get together and have a, a war against God. And what we're going to find out as we, uh, as we move quickly then through 17 and, and 18, uh, there is, if you want to call it, a battle. But what happens is Jesus returns, and in the blink of an eye, he wipes out all of those bad guys, and the blood just fills the valley. But this is not an ongoing Game of Thrones kind of battle. Jesus returns, wipes them out, and they're done in the blink of an eye. The battle of Armageddon is instantaneous. This bowl that dried up the Euphrates set the stage for Jesus' victorious return at the battle of Armageddon. 17, um, uh, the seventh, I mean, verse 17 the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne. Remember, we, think that we, we believe that to be the voice of God. Saying, it is done. The last angel pours out his into the atmosphere. And once that last act is done, God says, it is done. Reminiscent of the time that Jesus received God's wrath on our behalf on Calvary. And one of the last things Jesus said from the cross, to tell us die, it is finished. Now, on this last day, on the Lord's day, um, or I should say the day of the Lord, let's use it that way, on this day of the Lord, um, it is, not, uh, it is not Christ receiving God's wrath on our behalf. It is the rest of unbelieving world receiving God's wrath for their rejection of him. And once that last bowl is done, God declares with victory and I think celebration, it's done. Don't have to punish them anymore. Verse 18, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. By the way, when the seventh seal is broken, there, are, there is lightning and thunder, and I think an earthquake. When the seventh trumpet blows, there is lightning and thunder, and probably an earthquake. There, is, uh, there are similarities there that we see each time, and now that seventh bowl is poured out. And the earth goes nuts. The great city was split into three parts. The great city is Jerusalem. It is split into three parts. Um, believe it or not, as terrible as that sounds, many of us believe that that winds up being beneficial to Jerusalem. When it is split into three parts, what that does is it creates a new valley. 
And, and according to Old Testament prophecies, when that new valley is created running from uh, west to east, new water from the Mediterranean comes through and it makes Jerusalem a, a lush, uh, stronger, healthier place, setting the stage for Jesus to reign during the thousand year reign from that kind of rebuilt Jerusalem. If that is the case, that is the only positive thing that comes out of this terrible earthquake. The great city was, was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. See, Jerusalem did not fall. It was split into three parts, but it's set aside and described differently than the rest of the, of the cities of the nations. They fell. God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Babylon, in this case, is the capital of the Antichrist and the false prophet. They have set up this new world religion, which is also political, in a uh, reborn, if you will, Babylon. And uh, it's almost as if the story goes that, that we pour out seven bowls and then we take that, that last bowl after we throw it into the, into the sky and there's one drop left out and we're going to make sure that that drop lands square on the capital where the Antichrist and the false prophet have been doing their thing. Uh, and so it, it, it's, it says uh, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every last bit of God's wrath poured out onto to this Babylon. Every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, the largest hailstones in recorded history were about two pounds so far. And one of these days when, uh, when God's wrath is poured out in that day of the Lord, if anybody survives all this that's already happened, they don't have water anymore, the sun is burning them up, they're in darkness, the... Uh, uh, there's a terrible earthquake and all their cities are falling on them. If anybody's still alive, if they survive, then these big hundred pound hailstones are going to fall on them. You'd think that they'd finally give up. But like we saw at the end of each, uh, of most of the bowls, look at what happens at the end of this one. Great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Well, dead gum. Yeah, that's kind of the point. It's supposed to be severe. But even there at the end, they curse God instead of giving in to him. Uh, their pride won't let them submit and repent. So as we read through that the day of the Lord is a scary day, 
you and I don't want to think about those things. The, uh, the, the one good news is that it happens very quickly, very quickly. And it sets the stage for Armageddon, which is, uh, I believe, the, the time when Jesus physically returns and there is a, uh, an immediate uh, defeat of his enemies. And as we look at that terrible time of judgment, let me remind you of Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 is one of those that you want to have memorized. You want to have that address squared away in your head so that every time you hear Romans 8.1, you know these are the words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are rejecting God on the day of the Lord will suffer terrible punishment, and then they will enter into eternal punishment. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We will get to live with him forever and we'll get to celebrate on that day of victory that's about to happen in the next couple of chapters.